Book One, Chapter Ten of A Voyage Towards the South Pole and Round the World, Volume One by James Cook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Cole. Chapter Ten Arrival of the Ships at Otaheite, with an account of the critical situation they were in, and of several incidents that happened while they lay in Oati Piha Bay, seventeen seventy three August. On the fifteenth at five o'clock in the morning, we saw Osnaburg Island, or Maitia, discovered by Captain Wallace, bearing south by west or half-west. Soon after I brought to, and waited for the adventure to come up with us, to acquaint Captain Furneaux, that it was my intention to put into Oatihi Piha Bay, near the south-east end of Otaheite, in order to get what refreshments we could from that part of the island, before we went down to Matavia. This done, we made sail, and at six in the evening saw the land bearing west. We continued to stand on till midnight, when we brought to, till four o'clock in the morning, and then made sail for the land, with a fine breeze at east. At daybreak we found ourselves not more than half a league from the reef. The breeze now began to fail us, and at last fell to a calm. This made it necessary to hoist out our boats to tow the ships off, but all their efforts were not sufficient to keep them from being carried near the reef. A number of the inhabitants came off in canoes from different parts, bringing with them a little fish, a few coconuts, and other fruits, which they exchanged for nails, beads, etc. The most of them knew me again, and many inquired for Mr. Banks and others who were with me before, but not one asked for Tupia. As the calm continued, our situation became still more dangerous. We were, however, not without hopes of getting round the western point of the reef and into the bay, till about two o'clock in the afternoon, when we came before an opening or break in the reef, through which I hoped to get with the ships. But on sending to examine it, I found there was not a sufficient depth of water, though it caused such an indraft of the tide of flood through it, as was very near proving fatal to the resolution for as soon as the ships got into the stream, they were carried with great impetuosity towards the reef. The moment I perceived this, I ordered one of the warping machines, which we had in readiness, to be carried out with about four hundred fathoms of rope, but it had not the least effect. The horrors of shipwreck now stared us in the face. We were not more than two cables' length from the breakers, and yet we could find no bottom to anchor, the only probable means we had left to save the ships. We, however, dropped an anchor, but before it took hold and brought us up, the ship was in less than three fathom water, and struck at every fall of the sea, which broke close under our stem in a dreadful surf, and threatened us every moment with shipwreck. The adventure, very luckily, brought up close upon our bow, without striking. We presently carried out two kedge-anchors with hawsers to each. 
These found ground a little without the bower, but in what depth we never knew. By heaving upon them, and cutting away the bower anchor, we got the ship afloat, where we lay some time in the greatest anxiety, expecting every minute that either the kedges would come home, or the horses be cut in two by the rocks. At length the tide ceased to act in the same direction. I ordered all the boats to try to tow off the resolution, and when I saw this was practicable, we hove up the two kedges. At that moment a light air came off from the land, which so much assisted the boats, that we soon got clear of all danger. Then I ordered all the boats to assist the adventure, but before they reached her, she was under sail with the land breeze, and soon after joined us, leaving behind her three anchors, her coasting cable and two hawsers, which were never recovered. Thus we were once more safe at sea, after narrowly escaping being wrecked on the very island we but a few days before so ardently wished to be at. The calm, after bringing us into this dangerous situation, very fortunately continued, for had the sea breeze, as is usual, set in, the resolution must inevitably have been lost, and probably the adventure too. During the time we were in this critical situation, a number of the natives were on board and about the ships. They seemed to be insensible of our danger, showing not the least surprise, joy or fear, when we were striking, and left us a little before sunset, quite unconcerned. We spent the night, which proved squally and rainy, making short boards, and the next morning being the seventeenth, we anchored in Oatihipiha Bay in twelve fathoms water, about two cables length from the shore, both ships being by this time crowded with a great number of the natives, who brought with them coconuts, plantains, bananas, apples, yams, and other roots, which they exchanged for nails and beads. To several who call themselves chiefs, I made presents of shirts, axes, and several other articles, and in return they promised to bring me hogs and fowls, a promise they never did, nor ever intended to perform. In the afternoon I landed in company with Captain Furneaux, in order to view the watering-place and to sound the disposition of the natives. I also sent a boat to get in some water for present use, having scarcely any left on board. We found this article as convenient as could be expected, and the natives to behave with great civility. Early in the morning I sent the two launches and the resolution's cutter, under the command of Mr. Gilbert, to endeavour to recover the anchors we had left behind us. They returned about noon, with the resolution's bower anchor, but could not recover any of the adventures. The natives came off again with fruit as the day before, but in no great quantity. I also had a party on shore trading under the protection of a guard. Nothing, however, was brought to market but fruit and roots, though many hogs were seen, I was told, about the houses of the natives. The cry was that they belonged to Wahitun, the Iredihi, or king, and him we had not yet seen, nor, I believe, any other chief of note. 
Many, however, who called themselves Eries, came on board, partly with a view of getting presents, and partly to pilfer whatever came in their way. One of this sort of Eries I had most of the day in the cabin, and made presents to him and all his friends, which were not few. At length he was caught taking things which did not belong to him, and handing them out of the quarter gallery. Many complaints of a like nature were made to me against those on deck, which occasioned my turning them all out of the ship. My cabin guest made good haste to be gone. I was so much exasperated at his behaviour that after he had gone some distance from the ship I fired two muskets over his head, which made him quit the canoe and take to the water. I then sent a boat to take up the canoe, but as she came near the shore the people from thence began to pelt her with stones. Being in some pain for her safety, as she was unarmed, I went myself in another boat to protect her, and ordered a great gun, loaded with ball, to be fired along the coast, which made them all retire from the shore, and I was suffered to bring away two canoes without the least show of opposition. In one of the canoes was a little boy, who was much frightened, but I soon dissipated his fears by giving him beads and putting him on shore. A few hours later we were all good friends again, and the canoes were returned to the first person who came for them. It was not till the evening of this day that any one inquired after Tupia, and then but two or three. As soon as they learnt the cause of his death, they were quite satisfied. Indeed, it did not appear to me that it would have caused a moment's uneasiness in the breast of any one had his death been occasioned by any other means than by sickness. As little inquiry was made after Oturu, the man who went away with Monsieur de Bougainville, but they were continually asking for Mr. Banks and several others who were with me in my former voyage. These people informed us that two Taha, the regent of the greater peninsula of Otaheite, had been killed in a battle, which was fought between the two kingdoms about five months before, and that Otu was the reigning prince. Tubore Tamede and several more of our principal friends about Amatavai fell in this battle, as also a great number of common people. But at present a peace subsisted between the two kingdoms. On the 19th we had gentle breezes easterly with some smart showers of rain. Early in the morning the boats were again sent to recover the adventure's anchors, but returned with the same ill-success as the day before, so that we ceased to look for them any longer, thinking ourselves very happy in having come off so well, considering the situation we had been in. In an excursion which Captain Furneaux and I made along the coast, we met with a chief who entertained us with excellent fish, fruit, etc. In return for his hospitality, I made him a present of an axe and other things, and he afterwards accompanied us back to the ships, where he made but a short stay. Nothing worthy of note happened on the 20th till the dusk of the evening, when one of the natives made off with a musket belonging to the guard on shore. 
I was present when this happened, and sent some of our people after him, which would have been to little purpose, had not some of the natives, of their own accord, pursued the thief. They knocked him down, took from him the musket, and brought it to us. Fear, on this occasion, certainly operated more with them than principle. They deserve, however, to be applauded for this act of justice, for, if they had not given their immediate assistance, it would hardly have been in my power to have recovered the musket by any gentle means whatever, and by making use of any other, I was sure to lose more than ten times its value. The twenty-first the wind was at north a fresh breeze. This morning a chief made me a visit, and presented me with a quantity of fruit, among which were a number of coconuts we had drawn the water from, and afterwards thrown overboard. These he had picked up and tied in bundles so artfully that we did not at first perceive the cheat. When he was told of it, without betraying the least emotion, and as if he knew nothing of the matter, he opened two or three of them himself, signified to us that he was satisfied it was so, and then went ashore and sent off a quantity of plantains and bananas. Having got on board a supply of water, fruit, and roots, I determined to sail in the morning to Matavai, as I found it was not likely that I should get an interview with Wahitua, without which it was very improbable we should get any hogs. Two of the natives who knew my intention slept on board, with a view of going with us to Matavai, but in the morning the wind blew fresh at north-west, and as we could not sail, I sent the trading party on shore as usual. In the evening I was informed that Wahitua was come into the neighbourhood and wanted to see me. In consequence of this information I determined to wait one day longer in order to have an interview with this prince. Accordingly, early the next morning, I set out in company with Captain Furneaux, Mr. Forster, and several of the natives. We met the chief about a mile from the landing-place, towards which he was advancing to meet us, but as soon as he saw us he stopped with his numerous train in the open air. I found him seated upon a stool, with a circle of people round him, and knew him at first sight and he me, having seen each other several times in 1769. At that time he was but a boy, and went by the name of Thierry, but, upon the death of his father, Wahitoun, he took upon him that name. After the first salutation was over, having seated me on the same stool with himself, and the other gentlemen on the ground by us, he began to inquire after several by name who were with me on my former voyage. He next inquired how long I would stay, and when I told him no longer the next day he seemed sorry, asked me to stay some months, and at last came down to five days, promising that in that time I should have hogs in plenty, but as I had been here already a week, without so much as getting one, I could not put any faith in this promise, and yet, I believe, if I had stayed, we should have fared much better than at Matavai. The present I made him consisted of a shirt, a sheet, 
a broad axe, spike nails, knives, looking-glasses, medals, beads, etc. In return he ordered a pretty good hog to be carried to our boat. We stayed with him all the morning, during which time he never suffered me to go from his side, where I was seated. I was also seated on the same stool, which was carried from place to place by one of his attendants, whom he called stool-bearer. At length we took leave, in order to return on board to dinner, after which we visited him again, and made him more presents, and he, in return, gave Captain Furneaux and me, each of us, an hog. Some others were got by exchanges at the trading-places, so that we got in for the whole to-day as much fresh pork as gave the crews of both the ships a meal, and this in consequence of our having had this interview with the chief. The twenty-fourth early in the morning we put to sea with a light land-breeze. Soon after we were out, we got the wind at west, which blew in squalls, attended with heavy showers of rain. Many canoes accompanied us out to sea, with coconuts and other fruits, and did not leave us till they had disposed of their cargoes. The fruits we got here greatly contributed towards the recovery of the adventure's sick people, many of them, who had been so ill as not to be able to move without assistance, were, in this short time, so far recovered, that they could walk about of themselves. When we put in here, the resolution had but one scorbutic man on board, and a marine, who had been long sick, and who died the second day after our arrival, of a complication of disorders, without the least mixture of the scurvy. I left Lieutenant Pickersgill, with the cutter, behind the bay to purchase hogs, as several had promised to bring some down to-day, and I was not willing to lose them. On the twenty-fifth about noon, Mr. Pickersgill returned with eight hogs, which he had got at Oatipiha. He spent the night at Ohidea, and was well entertained by Ereti, the chief of that district. It was remarkable that this chief never once asked about Uturu, nor did he take the least notice when Mr. Pickersgill mentioned his name. And yet Monsieur de Bougainville tells us this is the very chief who presented Oturu to him, which makes it the more extraordinary that he should neither inquire after him now, nor, when he was with us at Matavai, especially as they believed that we and Monsieur de Bougainville came from the same country, that is, from Pretane, for so they called our country. They had not the least knowledge of any other European nation, nor probably will they, unless some of their men should return, who had lately gone from the isle, of which mention shall be made by and by. We told several of them that Monsieur de Bougainville came from France, a name they could by no means pronounce, nor could they pronounce that of Paris much better, so that it is not likely that they will remember either the one or the other lung, whereas Pretane is in every child's mouth, and will hardly ever be forgotten. It was not till the evening of this day that we arrived in Matavai Bay. End of Book One, Chapter Ten Recording by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts